0: Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Exodus 34:29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them Afterward all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in the Mount Sinai And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him He would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, family of God. God is so good, isn't he? And even in the midst of all of our junk, the world is really messed up. We are really weak, but God is good and faithful. And this word that we just had read to us, I just want to pause right now and remember what this is. This is the holy, infallible word of God. It is absolutely true and trustworthy and re- reliable. It has power to give life to the dead. Amen has power to overcome the forces of evil. So I want to invite you now to bow your heads with me one more time and just quietly plead with the Lord to make your heart receptive to his word. And I'm going to pray for us and dive into this text. Gracious God, thank you for being a God who speaks to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from sin. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to unite us to Christ, to bring us to yourself. And I pray for your help this morning. For myself, Lord, I pray that you would help me to faithfully and accurately unfold your word, the meaning of it, in a way that is true, with a heart that is humble and zealous for you, and help, help me to be empowered by your spirit in a way that helps us all to see the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, for all of us that are hearing your word today, please give us attentive minds, humble hearts, strengthen us by your spirit to believe Your love for us. Please encourage us and heal us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, last week we read Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, in which Moses prayed a prayer, which I commended to you as a really good prayer. So this would be a good prayer for all of us to pray. And the prayer was, please show me your glory. Moses cried out to God, show me your glory. Moses has reached a place on his long road to spiritual maturity in which what he wants more than anything else is God. He wants to enjoy a relationship with God. He got to this place where he was actually praying last week in Exodus 33 and 34. God, I don't want the promised land without you. I'd rather have the wilderness with you than the promised land without you. And I encouraged us to think that through in our own lives, because most of us initially come to God because we got problems and we want God to help us with our problems. Right. And that's okay as a starting place. But God's trying to take us deeper in which we recognize the love that is revealed to us in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the love that is revealed to us in all God's daily mercies is designed by God to draw us to God himself so that we could see how good God is and enjoy him. And Moses answers, he, he, he prays this prayer to God and God answers the prayer of Moses. We read last week that God appeared to Moses in a special way. God spoke to Moses about his character and told Moses that he is merciful and gracious, that he's just and holy and loving and forgiving. God invited Moses into God's presence. And now this week, in this amazing text, we read about This fact that Moses, as he began to spend time with God, gazing upon the glory of God, enjoying God's presence, hearing God's word, some work of grace was done in him so that he started to reflect the glory of God. Last week he prayed, show me your glory. This week he's reflecting the glory of God. So the title of my sermon today, the two key words I want you to think about are these words, reflected glory. Everybody say reflected glory. reflected glory. That's what this whole text is about. He got the two tablets of the testimony of God in his hands, according to verse one. And when he comes down the mountain, Moses doesn't know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. But Aaron and the people of Israel in verse I said, verse one, i meant verse twenty nine. Uh, first verse of your text, verse 30 says, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. They were in awe of God's glory as it was reflected in the face of Moses. That's an awesome reality. And in this little story, we have really in a nutshell the way the whole Christian life works, don't we? It was the grace of God that taught Moses to long to spend time with God. It was the grace of God, the mercy of God that taught Moses to pray, forgive my sins and show me your glory. And then as Moses began to gaze on the Lord, it was the grace of God now that's transforming him so that now as Moses goes back into the world to fulfill his ministry from God, the the light and the love and the power and the goodness of God is reflected. That's our story as Christians. The grace of God teaches us that we're sinners. The grace of God teaches us that through Jesus we can be reconciled with God. The grace of God teaches us to trust in Jesus Christ. And as we grow in this friendship with Jesus, our Lord, we begin to reflect his glory. Now, before we get deeper into thinking about what that means, I just want to pause To remind us of a couple of facts. Moses is an ordinary man. He's a man who struggles with temptation, who with doubt and with sin, like you and me. We We might think of Moses as this sort of icon of holiness, this special spiritual person. But if we've read the book of Exodus, we know that isn't true. But Moses was a sinner. I mean, he's a great role model of faith, but... He needed God's forgiveness many times, and he's not done sinning, as we'll learn in a few weeks. Moses is an ordinary man. Not only that, but we can relate perhaps to Moses in lots of different ways. Friends, you might read this text and think that all sounds wonderful, that sounds great, but you don't know how stressful my life is. You're talking about basking in the glory of God? I'm just trying to make it, I'm just trying to survive. And if you're there, if you can relate to that, I want to say to you, friends, it is possible that Moses had like the most stressful, discouraging, frustrating job in the history of the planet. Besides, maybe Jesus, the job of Moses was stressful. Let let me just take you down memory lane of where we've been the last several months as as we've been studying the book of Exodus. First of all, at the very beginning of Exodus, Moses got it in his heart. Hey, God must have prepared me for a special purpose. I got to stand up to the Egyptians who raised me and stand up for my Hebrew people. And so he goes and tries to do that, but he totally messes it up. Remember that? He went and killed the Egyptian and he gets sent out into exile. That went badly. And then he has a very um, difficult 40 years exiled from his family. And then God appeared to him. And the burning bush and said, Moses, I'm sending you back to do what was already in your heart. You're going to be my instrument to set my people free. And do you remember Moses' response? Exodus chapter four, verse 13. Moses, after hearing this great calling, says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Remember that Moses still wants the people to be set free. He just doesn't want to do it anymore. Anybody ever been there? You want your kids to flourish and thrive, but you would like somebody else to change this diaper. You want South Oklahoma City, every apartment complex, every neighborhood, every school to be filled with gospel witness and disciple making ministry. But now you've been at it two, three, five, ten years and you're exhausted and you want somebody else to do it. Ever been there? You're just tired. Moses doesn't want to do it. He struggles with doubt. And verse 14 says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses knows what it's like to doubt and to spiritually struggle. But God was gracious to Moses and God sent Moses. And in chapter five, Moses obeys God. He went and spoke to Pharaoh. Let my people go. And you remember Pharaoh said no. And Pharaoh made life harder for the people. He Said, not only do you have to make bricks, but you got to go get your own straw. And when that happened, the very people that Moses came to help got mad at him. In Exodus chapter five, verse 19, we read the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord, look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Woo! Moses didn't want the job. God asked him to do the job. He does it because he trusts and obeys God and because he wants to love the people. And he goes to help the people. And now all of a sudden he feels like he's powerless. He's not even making a difference. The people do not say thank you. In fact, they get mad at Moses. Anybody been there? It's frustrating. And then you keep reading all the chapters We are way past this now that the slaves have been set free. God has led them out of their captivity. And friends, they are still not grateful to Moses. Nobody has said thank you to Moses. Did you notice this throughout the book of Exodus? Nobody says thank you to Moses. Every now and then there's a brief moment in which they say thank you to God, but not to Moses. As a matter of fact, there's a certain pattern that we have observed Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses. Fast forward, Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 17, but the people thirsted for water. This is verse 3, and the people grumbled against Moses. Everybody say grumbled. Grumbled. He's been in his whole life trying to help people. And chapter after chapter after chapter, they grumble at him. This is discouraging. It continues. They keep rebelling against God. They keep not listening to God. A few weeks ago we read about the fact that they asked Aaron to help them make an idol, a statue, and said, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. And at this point, even God says to Moses in Exodus 32 verse 9, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They are stubborn. Moses is a man like us with struggles. We've read about him working from early before dawn until late at night. He's got a hard job. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And I think this is important because like Moses, each of us has a life calling which is important and which is eternally significant. We don't have the same calling as Moses, but God has put a calling on all of our lives. But nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Amen. I say God has put this calling on your life because this is what Scripture teaches. Ephesians 2.10. You are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So God has a purpose for you. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God has a purpose for you. Your life, there's a holy, sacred calling every day. You've got opportunities to love God and love people, but it's stressful. It's discouraging. It's hard. And so when we look at Moses, even though his calling and his life is very different than ours, we can relate to this. And this causes us to ask this question, a question I want you to think about. How did Moses. A frail human being like us prone to sin with a stressful job in which he works hard every day and people very rarely listen to him and nobody ever tells him thank you. And everybody's complaining all the time. How did Moses become this paragon of humility, love and faithfulness whom he becomes? How did he become a person that The love and the wisdom and the righteousness and the justice of God are flowing out of him with authenticity, which is what happens. I mean, Moses is one of the great role models of spiritual maturity by the end of his life. The answer, I think, is beautifully demonstrated for us in this text. That's why I took that time to to slow down and remember this is a man. He's a man in the midst of struggle. What we're seeing in this text is here's the secret. Here's the secret. Moses spent time with God. Moses spent time with God day after day after day. Hearing God's voice. Beholding God's glory, listening to God's word. Renewing his mind. Then when Moses went out among the people to serve and lead, he reflected God's glory. Everybody say reflected glory. And the people could sense it. They could perceive it. Let's let's look at some of these moments in the text again. Let's just start up at the beginning. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, we already read this. The two tablets of the testimony in his hand. So he's carrying the word of God. And he's just thinking about his ministry. Last time he showed up with the word of God to deliver the people. They were having a big pagan ritual worship ceremony disobeying god so he's probably walking down the mountain wondering what is he going to see anybody ever walk around at the apartment complex where you're trying to share the gospel wondering what you're about to encounter today is anybody going to show up anybody ever show up to take care of your kids or try and witness in your workplace and you're just wondering is this going to feel pointless like yesterday i bet that's what moses was happening what what was going on in his mind i don't know i'm just guessing here But what we do know is that the text says he did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. As we already read in verse 30, Aaron, and the people saw it. They saw the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him because of this reflected glory. But Moses called them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. He's fulfilling his ministry. He's speaking the word of God. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. You see, the people can't take it. It's just too much to to look at him shining. It's freaking them out. Wouldn't it freak you out? And so he puts a veil on his face. They can't see it, but they know back there, Moses is shiny. And because of that, they listen to his word. They take it seriously as the word of God. Verse 34, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. What's going on here? Well, at a basic level, the shining skin of Moses is a miracle, isn't it? Everybody say a miracle. And this is a literal event. A physical event. It's not a metaphor. Moses is shiny. That's what's happening here. Light is coming out of this guy. But more important than the physical event of the miracle is the truth it is meant to communicate. There's a sense in which Moses is unique. He's being authenticated as the unique messenger of God. So that. The people see his shiny face they remember it even when he puts on the veil and they listen to his words, much like in the New Testament, the apostles, they're just ordinary men like you and me. They struggle with sin. They struggle with doubt and temptation. They fail many times. But after Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and rises again and sends the Holy Spirit and sends them as messengers, the, the Holy Spirit empowers the apostles to do all kinds of miracles so that the people will see the miracles and they'll trust The apostles, it authenticates them as messengers from God who speak God's trustworthy word. So there's a sense in which something unique is happening here. But there's also a sense in which this is Moses is given as like a paradigm or a model. I'll show that to you in a minute to make it clear. And we need to think, what does it signify? What is he modeling? First of all, it's important to recognize that, as we've said, this is a reflected glory, a reflected glory. Moses is like the moon. Right. The moon doesn't have any light of its own. Where does the moon gets its light? The moon gets its light from the sun. Moses doesn't have any light or glory flowing from himself. He has spent time with God who shines with glory like the sun. And he's reflecting that glory. When Moses does that, he is partially fulfilling what human beings were created to do from the beginning. He's giving us. A glimpse of authentic humanness. Okay? To understand what I'm saying, you've got to remember back to Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the whole world, and then we get to verses 26 through 28 where we describe the creation of humanity. And what we read is this So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, everybody say, the image of God. What are human beings made to do? They're made to be images of God. They're made to reflect God's goodness, to reflect his glory. That's what we were all created for. Now, in Genesis chapter three, we read about the reality of sin that human beings have rebelled against God. We've turned away from him. And because of that, human beings, which are God's masterpiece, are now God's marred masterpiece. We have vandalized. His handiwork and his image so that right now there's a reality that every human being is still made in the image of God. And yet the reflection of God's goodness that we were created to be is messed up by all of our sin and our evil. But here in Moses, we're getting a little sign. What are humans for? Moreover, not only is this shining face of Moses a partial fulfillment of what we were created for, it's a foretaste of something much better that is to come. There's another one of these foretastes that you, you may remember from the life of Jesus. You say, Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And he clothes himself with humility and weakness and comes among us to teach us, to save us, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again. But before his death, there was this moment that we call the transfiguration. Do you remember the story? Jesus took with him. Peter, James and John, they went up on a mountain. And while they were up on the mountain, something happened. And all of a sudden, Jesus started shining like the sun. And Moses appeared and Elijah appeared and started talking to Jesus. And the cloud of God's glory came down on them. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And then it all went away. And Jesus told the apostles. Don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the grave. Now, what was happening there in the transfiguration of Jesus? Part of it, of course, is that Jesus is being authenticated. Not only is this a prophet, this is the son of God. The glory of Jesus is being revealed. But listen, Jesus is not only the eternal son of God. He's also a real human being. One person in two natures, fully God and fully human. And what we're getting at the transfiguration of Jesus is actually... A little foretaste, a little glimpse in advance of the resurrected glory that every Christian will participate in. You see, when Jesus returns in glory, not only will our souls be made perfect, but our bodies will be resurrected. And Romans eight says when God's purpose for human beings is finally fulfilled and the second coming of Jesus, that all creation is going to be transfigured to reveal the glory of God so that the light of God's goodness will shine through all of his creation. Everything is going to be made new. C.S. Lewis talks about this reality in a really great sermon. If you haven't ever read it before, I encourage you, but the sermon's called The Weight of Glory, and he made this point that I want you to think about. He said, "If you right now could see What the ordinary Christian sitting next to you in the pew, we don't have pews, so just let's say chair. You can see what the ordinary Christian sitting next to you in the the chair will look like. When they are glorified in Christ Jesus, you would be strongly tempted to worship them. Take a second to look around. I'm looking at y'all. you looking at each other. I'm not feeling tempted to worship you guys. Are you feeling tempted right now? I mean, we're kind of ordinary. We're kind of ordinary. But what, what, here's what C.S. Lewis was rightly saying. These people are image bearers of God. That's what they were created for. And right now, that's veiled. It's hidden because of our frailty, because of weakness, because of sin. But one day in Christ, the reality that your daughters and sons of God are going to be revealed. And we will start shining with a light, not like the light on... The face of Moses that fades away over time, but with an eternal radiance of glory. That's our hope in Christ. And Moses is here a model or a paradigm of this reality that as we trust in Jesus Christ, our fellowship with God is restored. We enjoy friendship with God and then we begin to be transformed. This can be your lived reality day by day. Let's bring it back home to the fact that we talk about that we all face stress. I hope I'm not the only one who can relate to that part of Moses' life. Let's take a show of hands. Anybody find that your life is stressful and difficult and frustrating at times? Okay, I thought we would have a pretty good buy-in on that. And sometimes when we hear all this stuff about enjoying God and basking in his glory, it's like, is that even real? Is that even my life? Sure, if I could wake up and go into the tent of meeting like Moses, that would be fun. But here's how I wake up in the morning. My alarm goes off. I push snooze. It goes off again. I push snooze again. I get up. I stumble into the shower. If I'm lucky, I make it to the soap, right? Then I wander out and grab a protein bar and I go to work. I don't know what your morning routine is like, but I'm just saying all of us have stressful lives, right? And we're busy and we're dealing with the difficulty of this. And we might start thinking, sure, Moses had it nice, but that's not my life. And what I want to say is you may be feeling skeptical about this, but here's what the Bible actually teaches Not only did Moses not have it better than you, but you have it way better than Moses. Uh, To finish today, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that talks about this story from Exodus 34 and relates it to the Christian life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For the last few minutes together, I want to read this text And reflect on what it means for us in our day-to-day life as followers of Jesus today. You and I have a privilege of beholding and reflecting a much greater glory than what Moses beheld and reflected. I'm going to start in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. If you got your Bible, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen. Now, here's what Paul says. Paul the Apostle. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? I want the first thing I want you to do if you got your Bible is underline those three words even more glory. Even more glory. The experience that we have in daily life as Christians is much greater, much greater than what Moses experienced. You see, it's saying it's talking about this story that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because it was bright and shiny and it freaked them out. It was glorious, but it's nothing compared to what we experience because in Christ And by the power of the Spirit, we have a better covenant. Now, covenant has been one of our big words in the book of Exodus. Everybody say covenant. A covenant is a relationship based on promises. We've talked a lot about this. And at times we have emphasized certain continuities between the old covenant and the new covenant. But Paul is sharply here emphasizing the discontinuities. What we've got is way better. Look at what he calls the covenant and the ministry That Moses had carved in letters of stone. He's talking about those tablets that Moses carried down from the mountain that we just read about in Exodus 34, 29. He calls it the ministry of death. The ministry of death. Why does he call it that? Well, those words were God's good words. They were God's good words about how to live in fellowship with God. But those external words did not have the power to change the heart. We didn't just need external words about how to live as God's. Free children, we needed the internal work of the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. That's what we needed. And so now Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again, sat down on a throne at the right hand of the father and sent the Holy Spirit so that when we read the word of God, we're not just reading a dead book. We're reading God's living word and God's living spirit inside of us is making us come to life through the word. Continuing through the text, verse nine says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteous must far exceed it in glory. Moses's ministry, it calls the ministry of condemnation because Moses held up the standard for what glorious, free, true living could be as human beings. But we all fell short of the standard and the standard couldn't change our hearts. God's law couldn't make us new. But now through Christ and through his spirit, we're talking about the ministry of righteousness by grace. When anybody trusts in Jesus, we are counted righteous in Christ. God forgives our sin. He accepts us into his family. We'll never be separated from his love. And his spirit comes inside of us to start making us more and more like Jesus so that we reflect his righteous character. That's the ministry that we have received. Paul continues, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. This is what I'm talking about, Christian. You may be thinking, yeah, but in my day to day life, I can't go into the tentative meeting that that sounds really glorious. But what Paul said is that seemed glorious for a while. But in Christ, we've experienced a reality that makes what Moses experienced not seem glorious at all anymore. We've got something far better. How does that work? What does that look like? Let's keep reading. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, what was being brought to an end, the covenant of Moses, it's already apparent in Exodus that this thing is not going to be a permanent solution to the problem of the world. The whole book of Exodus has been leading us. On this journey where the people are going from slavery to freedom. And then they're entering into God's presence. Half of the second part of the book has been about building the tabernacle. Here's a spoiler alert. Sorry if you haven't read to the end of the book yet. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. God's glory is going to descend on the tabernacle. And Moses will not be able to enter it. This covenant was insufficient. Because our hearts were too messed up. We didn't just need rules for living we needed the son of God to die on the cross for our sins and rise again and send the spirit to make us new from the inside out. That's what we needed. That old covenant was being brought to the to an end. And if it came with glory, second Corinthians three eleven says this much more will what is permanent have glory. Everybody say permanent. permanent. Here's what that means. It means if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your relationship with him cannot be broken. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from his love and the covenant that he has established will never, ever, ever be broken. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Quick summary of what that means. People that don't trust in Jesus Christ when they read the Bible don't get what it's all about. But if the Spirit of God enables us to trust in Jesus Christ, then as we read the Bible, we find Christ in it. We find its true meaning in heart. Now, here's the part I've been trying to get to the whole time. Verse 17 and 18. This is it. This is the stuff. If I lost you, you lost your attention span. Let's bring it back in for the last moment here. Are you ready? Verse 17 and 18. Now, the Lord is the spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. The The Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Exodus has been a book about freedom. It's been a book about freedom. But what we've seen over and over is if, if I'm free from external oppression, but my heart is still a slave to sin, I'm not free. Jesus came to give us the freedom of children of God, which is something much greater. You, when you trusted in Christ, the condemnation of the law for your sin was taken away. If you haven't trusted in Jesus and you're here today, here's what you need to understand. There's no amount of being a good person that's going to make you right with God. What you need to do is just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Thank you for taking my punishment on the cross. I trust in you and he'll forgive you and you'll be free from that condemnation. But there is more. The spirit of God inside of you is going to free you to live as an authentically human person. So that the love of God can flow through your life. And that's what verse 18 is all about. We read this. And we all. That's all of us. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ. With unveiled face. Paul is using the metaphor. From Exodus 34. They had to put on a veil. Because they couldn't even gaze at the reflected glory in Moses' face. But Paul is saying. Through Christ the veil is removed. And we can just gaze at the shining glory of the face of Jesus. And he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Christian life is this day by day by day by day. We stare at Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We read the Gospels. We meditate on who Jesus is. We especially look at his cross. On the cross you see Jesus and you think this is how much God loves me. is how much he loves sinners. He entered into our pain. He entered into my mess. It cost him everything so he could remove my shame. Remove my guilt and my sin and bring me to God. And our hearts begin to fall in love with Jesus. And as we gaze at Jesus day after day after day, the Holy Spirit of God comes. And like Moses, we may not even understand that it's happening. But we're just staring at Jesus and reflecting on his gospel, reading his word, praying, meditating on the scripture, trying to fix our hearts on Jesus And from one degree of glory to another, meaning little by little by little by little, we start becoming more like Jesus. Little by little by little by little, we reflect our master. Which means. When you get up and you go to your daily life. And it's stressful and it's frustrating and it's difficult. But you are a person who is learning to fix your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make plenty of mistakes. You're going to struggle. But if your life and your gaze is fixed on Jesus. The the picture that we saw in Moses's life is lived out in reality in a much deeper way in your life. And here's what it looks like when somebody treats you in a really annoying way. Instead of responding in the grumpy way that you would have two weeks ago. You respond with something that's a lot more like the mercy of Jesus. When your boss doesn't appreciate you. And doesn't say thank you. Just like the people of Israel never once said thank you to Moses. You think I'm living for my Lord Jesus Christ. I want the commendation of my father. And you keep loving. You don't complain. When the people you're trying to minister to, you're helping them grow. But it turns out they've got pain and struggle and trauma and all the stuff that we're all dealing with. And so often it feels like it's two steps forward and then five steps back. You think, how far did Jesus go for me? How patient has He been with me? And something of the patience of Jesus Christ starts to grow in your heart. When you get tired of facing the evil and injustice of the world, and it gets very exhausting, you don't give up. Listen, friends, a couple of days ago I got to hear from Gary Hogan, who's the director, founder of International Justice Mission which is a Christian organization that has been, among other things, one of the leading forces in the world to fight against slavery worldwide. And he told some amazing stories about uh, places in which they served for 5, 10, 15 years with zero visible fruit at all. And, and then a breakthrough happened little by little. And now, uh, a few years later, or a few decades later, thousands of slaves have been set free. Perseverance in the work of justice. Well, where do you get that? You get that from every day gazing at Jesus so that His persevering justice and love start to have a home in your heart and you reflect that glory. The good news of the gospel, friends, is that we don't have to try and crank out of our own willpower the strength to change the world. The good news of the gospel is we don't have to try and crank out of the willpower. The sort of spiritual maturity to earn our way back to God, we could never do it. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God's son, came for us and rescued us so that we could be friends of God and we could enjoy relationship with him. And the way the Christian life works is this simple. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, meditating on his gospel, delighting in him, trusting in him, that good news and that image of God in Christ permeates our hearts and changes us so that when we go out into the world, the light of Jesus shines through us. That's our calling. That's what it means to live the Christian life. Bow your heads with me and let's pray as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Lord, I just want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for coming to rescue sinners by your grace. Thank you for this family of believers that has been brought together by your grace and nothing else. I pray for anybody here who right now isn't right with God. That this good news that we can be reconciled with God by grace through Jesus, Lord, that that would... Be a liberating word today, that your spirit would enable every single person here to trust in Jesus and to find the forgiveness of sins. Lord, and I pray for every Christian here, whether we're feeling energized and zealous or whether we're feeling tired or discouraged, that as we go to the Lord's table now, you would help us once again in a fresh way to glimpse your glory and the gracious person of Jesus. And in the gift of his body and blood which are broken and poured out for us. And that this week, as, and even today, as we have opportunities to serve and to love and to labor and to care for people. To share the message of Jesus. To give, Lord, that that goodness of Christ would be reflected in us. So that people would see and hear about who you are. Help us to love like you've loved us. Help us to persevere in those works of mercy and justice that you've called us to do. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.